0: We're continuing our series on thriving in the city. And today, I want to talk about the importance of a life of service and a commitment to service if we are going to thrive in the city. And by service, I mean the practice of giving away in copious amounts our time and our attention and our strengths and our abilities simply to assist others, simply to help others who find themselves in need of help. And that's at the core of the Christian life. And I think it's at the core of what it takes for us to thrive in the city. So our text this morning is John chapter 13. Might be a familiar one to some of you. It's one of the most famous passages, one of the most familiar stories on Jesus' commitment to service and how he reached out and, and gave himself up in service. John chapter 13, starting in verse 3 says that Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. And so he got up from the supper, he laid aside his outer clothing, he took a towel and he tied it around himself. Then he poured some water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and he dried them with the towel that was around him. He came to Simon Peter who asked him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I'm doing, you don't realize now, but afterward, you will understand. You'll never wash my feet, Peter said. Jesus replied, if I don't wash you, then you have no part with me. Peter said to him, Lord, then not only my feet, but my hands and also my head. One who has been bathed, Jesus told him, doesn't need to wash anything except his feet, and he is clean. And you are all clean, but not all of you. For he knew who would betray him. That's why he said, not all of you are clean. When Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, do you know what I've done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. And now that I, your teacher and Lord, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. This is God's word for God's people this morning. I think one of the great things, one of the healthy things about the era we're in, about this generation of of people, is that people have recognized the value of service, the value of community service, the value of giving our time and our energy away to service when it's needed. In fact, every year, I was reading about this, billions and billions of volunteer hours are given away by Americans in various places and various ways to help others. One of the the great leaders of this movement, I think, is the 39th president of the United States, Jimmy Carter. Some of you weren't alive in 1976 when he was elected, or or don't really remember the uh, the 70s when he, he served. But he's 95 years old today. And since he got out of office in 1980, what he's dedicated himself to is building houses for underprivileged people through Habitat for Humanity. I think he largely put that organization on the map. And today, he's 95, and he still goes to work sites and still helps people build houses. In fact, this fall, there was a story. He, he, fell, he tripped and fell in his home on a Saturday morning, had to go to the hospital and get stitches, and then he He got got in his bus and went to a work site and showed up with uh, stitches covering one of his eyes. And he said, he told the audience at the event that even though he had had to go to the hospital earlier that day, my number one priority was to come here to Nashville and to build houses. And so old Jimmy Carter at age 95 is still leading the way as former president, helping build houses for people who are in need of housing. And I think he's really led the way for a generation of people who've discovered the power and the importance of a life of community service and living living and doing and offering up community service. And I think one of the keys for all of us, if we're going to thrive in the city, is to make service a priority. Because admittedly, as we go through life, you know, life is busy and a lot of you are very ambitious and you're working very hard, and there's all kinds of social opportunities and entertainment opportunities and things to take in and things that we have to do and, and we want to get ahead in our careers, and all, all we've got a lot of things going on, but I think a key element of a balanced life, a key element of a thriving life for all of God's people is that we learn, we we bring service and giving ourselves away and make that a part of our commitment as we're living our lives. Because I think when you do that, you discover that service makes you happy in a way that entertainment, and achievement, and accomplishment, and simply socializing can't. Because it touches on a different part of your life. And this is something that's universally true. I think atheists, and Buddhists, and unreligious people, and unspiritual people are always surprised when they engage in community service, whether it's just a park cleanup day or helping build a house with Habitat for Humanity or serving in a soup kitchen. They're always surprised at how good it feels, at, at what it does for them, and how inspiring it is to be engaged in, in service on, on those types of occasions. But if you're a follower of Jesus, if you're wondering what following Jesus is all about, it's even more essential. Because service is at the essence of the Christian life. Because, as this passage shows, Jesus was a king, a master, a lord, a teacher, who came as a servant. And servanthood was something that characterized his life, and not just his life, but he says to his disciples, it needs to also characterize your life. So let's look back at this story. John 13 is one of the most famous, well-known stories of, in the life of Jesus. What had happened, this is the very last days of Jesus. He's gone to have the Last Supper. This is the prelude to the Last Supper. It's only contained here in John. It's not in the other Gospels. He's gone to have the Last Supper, the Passover meal, with his disciples. And you might recall the Passover is the, the most important meal of the year for 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 the the people of Israel, it, it's their highest holiest day, and so what's happened apparently we learn from the other Gospels is some friend of the disciples had donated a room and donated a meal to the disciples. It's as if as if you you heard uh, someone important was coming into town. He said you can have you can have dinner at my apartment and I'll even cook cook the dinner for you. Then I'm going to leave and you guys can just have your have your time together. So someone had donated the place, donated the, uh, donated the dinner, and they're all sitting there, and they're about ready to eat this meal, the, this, this uh, most sacred meal of the year. And there's only one problem. They need to have someone wash their feet. That was the protocol. That's what manners looked like in that day and age, is that, is that before you sat down to, a, to a, a meal like this, part of basic hygiene was you had to have your feet washed. Now, why, why was that? Well. This is why, if you've ever seen pictures of of how people ate in the ancient Near East, they didn't have dining room tables like we did, where the feet stayed on the floor and and you sat up at the table. Everybody kind of sat on the floor, you know, and people sort of reclined around. And so if people didn't wash their feet, imagine 13 men and their nasty feet would just be everywhere. And so in order to have a decent meal, the protocol was everybody got their feet washed before you sat down to do this. And and ideally, you'd have a servant, someone who wasn't part of your group whose job it was to go around and wash your feet. But if you didn't have that, then the the protocol was whoever was sort of the lowest ranked, the youngest, or the the least important person in the group would, would volunteer or be told to go around and wash people's feet. Well, among the 12 disciples, they were arguing about who was going to sit in Jesus' right hand and left hand in his glory. They weren't ready to volunteer to be the lowest servant. And so there's kind of this awkward silence like, when are we going to eat? Who's going to take care of this? What are we going to do? And, and they're just kind of waiting, waiting awkwardly there you know, when, when uh, things aren't quite ready to go. And, and uh, you know, there's, there's, there's sort of that unspoken tension of how, how are we going to do this? And then, then, as the story goes, Jesus gets up and takes off his outer garment, puts a towel around his waist, and takes the bowl and the towel that had been laid aside for this purpose and goes around and washes his disciples' feet. And this story reminds us, or this story exemplifies the fact that Jesus' methodology for redeeming the world, Jesus' methodology for bringing his grace to bear on the world is service. And Jesus', Jesus path to making all things new is through, through the practice of serving everybody. And so he exemplified that by by not pulling rank, not assigning, saying, "Hey, Matthew, you're the you're the, it's your turn. Go around and wash people's feet," but, but just voluntarily doing the lowest job and the nastiest job and the most and the most low-ranking job, just just simply doing it himself. You know, Jesus was the Son of God, and he had had this mission to come to this world, and and you know, it's very clear that the same God who just created the world could have. With the snap of his fingers, with a blink of his eye, he could have obliterated the world and started new. That would have been easy, and he could have just exerted his power and destroyed things. But instead, he wanted to redeem the world. He wanted to restore the world. He came to heal the world, and he came to make all things new. And while you can destroy things just by exerting your power to make all things new, to redeem and to restore, that requires you to become a servant. Let me illustrate it this way. Imagine, God forbid, you're walking, walking down the street and someone sneaks up behind you with a piece of pipe or a baseball bat. And, and they just uh, have some personal issues and they decide to take it out on you. So they hit you in the back of the head and they go on beating you and beating you till you're just left there kind of in a pulp on the side of the road. And just, just in five minutes of uh, aerobic exercise, someone can completely destroy your life, right? They don't have to be smart. They don't even have to be strong. They just need a little bit of surprise and a little bit of pipe, and, and your life is ruined. But now, that's easy, that's quick, and that, that happens fast. But what does it take to restore your life? Think about that. you got to be carried to the hospital. And at the hospital, you meet nurses and nurses assistants and medical technicians. Who, who examine you, who, who uh, stop the bleeding, who support you and, 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 t- and, and help you get right. And then some doctors come in, and they use their expertise to put you back together again, to sew, sew up the places that are torn, to restore the places that are broken, to put your teeth back, to rebuild your eye socket, whatever it is you need to be rebuilt. And that takes that five minutes of damage Take, could take hours and hours of service and hours and hours of care and hours and hours of nurture by professionals and by friends and by families before you're ever restored. Because, see, destroying things or crushing things, that's easy. But rebuilding things and restoring things, that only happens if you're willing to serve. Jesus didn't come to crush and destroy. He came to redeem. And The path of redemption comes through service. And so Jesus is calling now his followers, if you're going to join me in my work of redeeming this world, if you're going to join me in my work of making all things new, then you too will have to become a servant. I like the way one old hymn puts it. It's not with swords loud clashing or or roll of stirring drums, but with deeds of love and mercy that the heavenly kingdom comes. So service, Jesus shows us here and in a lot of other places that the path to doing his work is through becoming a servant, through being willing to serve. But you know, there's something harder. As hard as it is sometimes to volunteer to serve, there's something that's harder than serving. You know what that is? That's accepting someone else serving you. Jesus is going around, and he gets to Peter, and Peter's the loud mouth, and Peter, Peter says, wait a minute, this doesn't feel right. No, I'm not going to let you wash my feet. And you might think that, that Peter's being humble here, but he's actually being arrogant, because what's Jesus' response? Jesus says, Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. And so Jesus says, unless you're willing to let him serve you, you can't be a part of the work that he's doing in this world. And you know, Peter didn't want Jesus to wash his feet. And, and that, that point, points me to, to kind of the challenge of service, the challenge of the gospel. Because you know, there's, there's a kind of service we like. You know, it's all, we all like going to a restaurant and waving to the waiter and saying, excuse me, waiter, could I have a little more ice in my cup, right? Because it's nice to be served in that way when you can command service, when you can require service of somebody, and and they're eager to oblige. But there's another kind of service that we really prefer not to need, like when we fall and we can't get up, you know, when we can't take care of ourselves and someone has to come take care of us, when we can't feed ourselves and someone else has to feed us. That's, that's a kind of service nobody wants to be the recipient of. No one wants to be in a situation where where they are dependent on that kind of service. But what the gospel starts with is not us serving God. And this is the important point to get. And this is the difference between Christian service and just kind of doing a park cleanup day because you you like to do community service. The gospel starts not with us serving God, but with God serving us. Not with us giving to Jesus, but with us receiving grace from Jesus. And it's actually harder in some ways for us to get to the place where we're willing to accept our need for the service of Christ in our life than it is for us to to be willing to serve others. So the hardest part of gospel service, of Christ-centered service, of Christian service, is first accepting the service of Christ, of recognizing that following Christ, it's not about what I do for God, it's about what God has done for me. It's not about the sacrifices I offer to God, it's about God sacrificing himself for me. It's not about what, what, what I accomplish for God, it's about what Jesus accomplished for me when he gave his life, when he died on the cross, and when he conquered death for me. And that's the heart of the gospel for you and for me. Before Jesus asks us or requires of us that we serve him, he invites us and requires of us that we allow him to serve us. He said to Peter, and he says to you, and he says to me, except I wash you, you have no part in me. Christians follow Jesus not because... We're powerful, not because we're better, but because Jesus has first cleansed us. So so, uh, so, so the call to service starts with us experiencing Jesus' service of, of us. And, uh, and it, it also requires a firm sense of your identity. It requires that we know who we are. The reason the disciples did not want to Go around and wash people's feet is because that would have been any disciple who had volunteered for that would have been admitting that he was the lowest rank of the twelve disciples because that was the cultural protocol of the time. But the reason that Jesus could go around and wash people's feet is because he knew exactly who he was and. The passage makes it clear. Look again at verse 3. It says, Jesus knew that the Father had given everything into his hands and that he had come from God and that he was going back to God. So Jesus was deeply and profoundly aware of his identity. And then at the end, he he explains to his disciples. He says, when Jesus had washed their feet and put on his outer clothing, he reclined again and said to them, Do you know what I've done for, for you? You call me Master, Teacher, and Lord, and you are speaking rightly since that is what I am." Jesus knew who he was. He knew that the Father had given him everything and had put everything under his feet. He knew that he was the master and the Lord, and that's why he was able to humble himself. That's why he was able to give of himself, and that's why he was able to sacrifice himself. See, gospel service flows from a sense of our identity as children of God, as children of the King. The very reason the disciples were not able to serve and were not able to humble themselves is because they didn't know who they were. They didn't comprehend who they were. They were still jockeying for position amongst all of the disciples. And service, Christian service is powerful. And Christian service only works when it flows from a robust sense of our identity as children of God. you know One of the other great passages on service is Philippians chapter 2, where it talks about Jesus emptying himself and becoming a servant. And then it says that that's the kind of mindset that we should have as followers of his. But before that passage, he says, only do this if you have encouragement from being united with Christ, if you have comfort from his love, if you have fellowship with the Spirit, if you're united with him, then, You're free to humble yourself. Then it's not demeaning to give of yourself, to give yourself away, because you know that the God of the universe gave himself away for you. So service, as we do it, it's tremendously powerful if we have that sense of identity and we leverage that sense of identity to allow ourselves to give ourselves away to others. And it's a power for good. I think it's one of the great powers for good in the Christian life. And one of the great things about service is it's a, it's a path to bonding, to getting to know other people. And this is something that's always struck me over the years as I've participated in youth teams and different teams of, of men who've, who've been involved in various projects, is, is as, as you work together on a team to, to build something, to accomplish some project, and, and to volunteer, how that team gets bonded together. And people who maybe never would have gotten to know each other and never really would have connected get connected because they're working together on a service project. And uh, you know, the great thing about a new church like ours is it creates lots of opportunities for, for bonding and lots of opportunities to get connected in that way as you work with other people. And so uh, you know, if you want to get connected, I just want to invite you to show up here at about 8.45 any Sunday morning and help with a setup team and like, see Ben here? You can get to know Ben because he'll be here. And, and wouldn't it be great to get to know Ben? So, so uh, eh. but, it, but it, anyways, any kind of service we do, one of, the, one of the remarkable things is how it bonds you with other people you're, you're serving with. And the other thing that's surprising is when we give ourselves in service and we commit ourselves to service, how it bonds us to the people we're serving. How at, because you know, when you serve somebody, it's kind of like an investment you're making in that person or an investment you're making in that group. And as you make that investment, you, you, you tend to value more and more those people and value more and more those relationships in, in powerful ways. And I I'm, mean, I'm the biggest example of that to me is, is a mother with a child. You know, the child is taking a chunk out of your life and yet, and, and you, all you do is give and give and give to that child. And yet, as you give, the more you give, the more bonded you feel to that little one. Because, because as we serve, it bonds us to the people that we're serving. Now, be alert. It doesn't always bond them to us. Sometimes they'll appreciate it. Sometimes they won't. That's the nature of life. And you need, need to understand that. Sometimes, sometimes people appreciate what you do for them. Sometimes. They simply don't. Sometimes kids appreciate what you do for them. Sometimes they don't. But but you, your heart, and your your mind will be bonded to the people who you find yourself serving. But the freedom to serve comes from a strong sense of our identity. Like Jesus said, for him to humble himself and wash his disciples' feet. He had to bring to the front of his mind, not the back of his mind, but the front of his mind, that God had put all things under his feet and that he'd come from the Father and that he was going back to the Father. In the same way, as our identity, as those who've been served by the king of kings becomes to the front of our mind, and that's the heart of the Christian life, it's somebody to to call Jesus your savior means that he's become a servant who has washed away all of your sins. Then that frees us, to to reach out and to serve others. And that's Jesus' concluding exhortation here. In verse 14, he says, so if I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to watch one another's feet. He says, I've set you an example by doing what is good. And so to unleash the power of Christ in your life, to unleash the power of Christ through your life, the way to do that is to release your power and instead find ways to give away your time, to give away your strength, to give away your talents, to give away your gifts to bless others. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that Jesus came not to flex his power and to destroy us, but to control his power to serve us and to redeem us. I thank you that. We can follow a king who became a servant. I pray that as we do that, that his life, his power, and his grace would flow through us in profound ways. Accomplish this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.